Hello and welcome to the increasingly ironically named 3 and 2, uh, the podcast about Battling for the Wooden Spoon of Brotherhood 2022, coming at you really quickly after the last episodes, so we wanted to record whilst all the games are still fresh in our mind, and before we'd repress them back into the pit of shame. Your hosts tonight are Rich Nutter. Hello. Laura Bates. Hello. And I'm Matthew Ward. Uh, So, I think this does threaten to be a long one, so maybe we just jump right in talk about we talked about what the event was last episode so if you'd like to know listen to the last episode otherwise very quickly it's a team event six players on each team there were 11 teams yeah 11 um which did make it a little bit awkward obviously um as we'll discuss during the episode but if we just want to jump in with some initial thoughts on the event itself like how it was run stuff like that what did you guys think I thought it was very good. Obviously, like you said, it wasn't ideal to have an odd number, and I think there had been. I didn't wasn't really very cited on this, but it sounded like the sort of run up to the tournament was quite stressful for the tournament organizer. But the actual event, yeah, it went really well. I don't think there were any sort of admin problems, and I think you know while it was a little bit frustrating to have a buy, they handled it as well as they could reasonably do mm. in the circumstances. So yeah, really good. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I guess we should say it's organised by Chris Tomlin, a.k.a. The Black Sun on Twitter. Um, he does this and Blackout every year, which is the kind of singles equivalent. Always both really great events. It was a shame that he had so many drops from this one. It was reorganised three, two, three times? Three times, yeah. Um, but yeah, like... I think, given the circumstances, it went as well as it could have, and that was excellently. Really, I had a mm. great time. It was actually incredibly smooth. Like the the pre run up, you guys weren't in the captain's chat WhatsApp group that I was. Was a hell of people dropping, people not being <laughs> able to find players, like incomplete teams, scrambling to find people, uh, literally right up till the day before. Uh, so. Given that, the fact that we finished like half an hour early every day was pretty impressive. Yeah, there were long <laughs> days, so finishing early is definitely appreciated. Yeah, uh, no long days, rules queries dealt with really quickly. Even on the day, like people were bringing up uh, how the his scoring system would work with the battle plan that's just instant win, because obviously that slightly impacted on that and it hadn't been discussed in the pack, but he sorted it in like five minutes. So yeah, really great. Yeah. I th- think before the event, Chris did seem like he was probably never going to run another AOS event after this and his previous blackout had been like devastated with drops. But after the event, he's announced there was going to be Blackout 2023. So I guess it went pretty well overall. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. It, it was hosted in the new Firestorm venue, which me and Rich had been to before, but I don't think anyone else knew it. Which is a pretty great venue, right? I know some of you are blessed with uh, great London venues, but for me, a little yokel boy out in the southwest, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's really nice. Quite good light. Whereas, you know, it's mm. not one of the sort of gaming venues when you're just in a dark 
hit all weekend, which was good. <laughs> My only complaint, and this is going to be an extremely pedantic one, is that they didn't have Diet Coke, which is what I'm usually fueled by <laughs> when I game. So instead I had to drink vast amounts of Pepsi Max, which is much less good and made me sad. Um, or, but I think uh, that that's definitely in the minor quibble category. <laughs> We really do not have time to get into a Diet Coke versus Pepsi Max debate on this podcast, but I have <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> I um, would also um, like to raise that the tea or coffee machine broke every day. Yeah, yeah. That tea or coffee machine has been in Firestorm as long as I've ever been to Firestorm. So mm-hmm. 2017, probably. Nice. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of still pumping out coffee. But it it did take about five minutes to decide my coffee had finished on Sunday morning, so it was a bit concerning. I feel like we need to say more nice things about it now that we've just picked yeah. up on some really, really minor points. It's got a really oh. good shop, and the tables were really good, and there was a lot of space, and it was just a nice place mm-hmm. to be. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on one about the, the, the coffee machine. My bad. Uh, the shop is amazing. The space is amazing. It has a car park s- still, which is always good. Mm-hmm. If I had to give downside, um, you the locations, have. yeah, other than the coffee machine, uh, the location's not quite as quite as convenient as it used to be. Yeah. But I think not that's people get on the train, right? That's an acceptable trade, in my opinion, for like how much better it is. My my other downside is just, oh my god, Cardiff has become expensive to yeah. visit. Yes. So, uh, but again, that's that's absolutely nothing to do with Firestorm or Chris. So, <laughs> right, yeah. Cool. Should, should we talk about the event itself, the games, the team? Yeah. Should we mention the rest of our team? That might be we nice. We should. We mentioned them last time, but we can give them one more shout out. Oh, we don't uh, want them to get too too big for their boots. So, uh, the team was myself. I was the captain. I was playing Lydenf Deepkin. Uh, it was Laura, who was the co-captain. Is that what it's called? Coach. Coach. Well, coach? Just meant I got to help with drafting, really. Yeah. And I was running Gargants with Kragnos. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, Rich, who had last minute hobby wobbled his way all the way on to Nighthorn. Oh yeah, mm. first get first game of the tournament, first game with the new Nighthorn book. You can't make it up. <laughs> Good. All that practice before went really well, mm. and then we had uh, Luke. He was playing his Maggotkin of Murgle. Which was a kind of a blessed sons bit of everything build, which he probably had thoughts on. I've noticed that uh, post tournament he's put them all in a in a cupboard, in a display so, case. Come on, in a, a display, display case. <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed in a very and these are going away now way. So maybe that gives you a little spoiler as to how he how he enjoyed that army. Um, then there was Chris, uh, not Chris Tomlin, but other Chris who. Was which may get confusing this round, so I apologise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He was playing Daughters of Cain again. New book, new book's not astonishingly different to the old one. He's played a lot of daughters, so uh, that was Marathi and the Stab Snakes for the most part. And then we had last, but by no means least, Michael. Time. <laughs> I can tell you, stalling for time. <laughs> Uh, Michael, who was playing Stormcast Eternals, which is uh, Krondis, some Formulators, and some uh, bows, basically. Mm. Uh, and then a very minimal battle line, because that's what you get when you take those other units. So that was the team. I think we've all now played in a team event before, so this wasn't... Oh no, this is Luke's first time, isn't it? It was, yeah. It was yeah. Luke's I think first it... time in a team event. It was Luke's first, like, 
let's say national level tournament. I think mm. he's done local stuff, but yeah, like his first big event, I think he enjoyed it. So yeah, I think. Well, I hope he did. He said he did. So <laughs> he's lying to my face. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, you take it at face value. Indeed. So uh, round one, we're up against Team Twenty Two, uh, which was. I don't necessarily want to be rude, but this was one of the teams we were probably in the battle for the spoon with. And we knew that going into the event. So that's quite a nice round one draw. This was the team who did not have the full complement of six players. They only had five. So they had the spare player, which was either going to be Chris Tomlin, the TO, or one of the players from whichever team had a buy that round. And they were playing with a Gargan army that was three quarters supplied by Team Rock models. So again, quite a nice round one draw to be playing against our own Gargans. That's good stuff. It's a bit of fun, yeah. And also the three prettiest Gargans in that army. So there you go. The (laughs) the Krakenito in that army had seen um, maybe some better days. It was missing pieces, right? (laughs) It was missing pieces, yeah. It's hand had fallen off. Rather than that, rather that than a team dropping out, though. So, hundred percent, yeah. Um, so, I guess what we're going to do for this is very speed through any rounds or any games that are not astonishingly interesting, and then games where we have things to say, which is going to be our own, um, more than likely. We'll go into in a bit more detail. Um, so, who did any of you have a particularly exciting match this round? I guess I had the matchup that we were playing for, that we wanted, yeah. which is good. Um, so Nighthaunt with their ethereal save and rend immunity. One of the things we'd identified that was potentially a good matchup was uh, New Beasts of Chaos. So New Beasts have um, like escalating rend over the rounds, and that's one of the things that makes them very powerful, mm. or way more powerful than they used to be at least. And so, yeah, that was... Probably a good match for us. We thought, anyway. Yeah, we thought, and I, I think I'd stand by that. Um, it was on tectonic interference, where you have mm-hmm. the it's shifting objective, basically, uh, which yeah. is also good for me because it, it limits the amount I have to be tactical, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> First round into a new army. Uh, so, yeah, this list was run by Dave, really nice guy, uh, and it was heavy on Zangor and the Zangor Enlightened on discs. So I think he had unit of six, unit of three, and then I think he had a third unit of Enlightened as well. I can't remember if it was another six or three. And then a couple of characters sitting at the back casting spells and sacrificing things. Some gores to be sacrificed. Um, you know, you classic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, good matchup in us. Very draw. similar to a lot of the Beast of Chaos list there, which is all oh, the yeah. Enlightened on disc. Quite yeah, we've gone very similar Beast of Chaos items. We do appear to have shifted from Zeech armies full of Beast of Chaos models to Beast of Chaos mo- armies full of Zeech models. Um, <laughs> it's a <laughs> Zeech gonna Zeech, I guess. Um, yeah, so we thought this was a good matchup negating the rend. Um, I gave away turn one, which I thought was a good idea because I wanted stuff to come forwards. He did move a bit of stuff forwards, but he literally kept the Enlightened like right on his backboard edge which is both screening units that I had in the sky and also um, just like keeping them out of range of anything from the front. And 
I gave it away. On my turn, I played for the double, so I like was quite aggressive forwards, took a couple of objectives, got some score. But then I didn't get the, the <laughs> double. That's a classic mistake, but you know, you kind of got to at least think about it with AOS. Um, so he played quite cagey. Um, we had some interesting and fun like activation wars with him obviously wanting me to fight near the Enlightened before he fought with them so that they were way better. That pairs interestingly with Night Haunt's Wave of Terror mm. giving stuff fight last as well. It seemed like a fairly even grind, end of round three. Thought I had a really bad round, but then he took off a like sweeping handful of models to Battleshock <laughs> because he can't inspiring presence. And I went, oh, this is pretty good. Um, but he did some really good tactical play where he withdrew like the one remaining enlightened from two of the units back and then rallied low them back on fours. Mm. Summoned a cockatrice and the other monster whose name I can't remember. Jabberslife? <laughs> um, Jabberslife, the one that yeah. modifies the save characteristic, which obviously against Nighthorn is actually good. Does because... that work? I don't think that works. Mm, it didn't come. It didn't matter anyway. Okay. I don't think it ever shot, but um, he seemed to think it would. Basically, that just gave him the headroom to win on objectives. Then I will complain about dice very briefly, not in a like broad sense, but the shifting mm. objective stayed in the same place for <laughs> almost the entire game. Um, there was a point where I think if it had moved, I would have got a lead on points. I don't know that it would have made a big difference, but mm. you know, <laughs> it's um, yeah, like. It's, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah. I think, was I playing this like five games later with the army, I'd have had probably a much better chance of winning, actually. But okay. It was a really good game. Dave played well. Um, yeah, nice opponent. Good first game. Not sad about a loss, really. I got three points, mm. and they were the... Well, I won't spoil it, but they were important. They were. <laughs> uh, so this round as captain, there were two games I was really stressing about. As the round went on, like watching table states, because you can't really interact. All I can do is pat you on the shoulder and say, all right, uh, and look at the table state and think, is this good? Is this bad? And uh, yours was one of them, Rich. And <laughs> I think the other was Laura's, uh, if you have any comment on that. But you, you were two giving me stress that round. So oh, the others, I could sort of work out what was going on. You're confused, Laura. Did you actually battle them, and was I just confused in the moment? I think I think Chris's game went on for a lot longer and was a lot closer than mine, so you might be thinking about that one. Uh, I think very early on in Chris's game, he gave me a look like, I'm fucked. Uh, so <laughs> I mentally wrote that one off really early. Yeah, uh, We can do my game next if you want, and then you can see if that rings any bells for you. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So I played a lovely guy called Gordon who had Nighthaunt. Um, I hadn't played New Nighthorn at all before and didn't really know much about what they did. So, it, but as we will see by the end of the first day of Brotherhood, I knew a lot about what they did. Um, so it was, yeah, I don't, I didn't think it was going to be a great matchup because Gargans have a lot of rend, and obviously that they wouldn't have that. But on the other hand, Nighthorn was an army where I think the Gargans counting as lots of models for objectives is quite helpful, and the scenario was Savage Gains, which is one where my Kraken Eater can kick my home objective into the middle of the board and make it worth fewer points for my opponent and more points for me, which is very good. So I think the scenario <laughs> favoured me, certainly. So yeah, he had, what did he have? He had a Mongol, which I've never played against before. That was exciting. And then he had Rykonor, Kurdos, some Grimgast, some Banshees, 
and almost some other stuff that I can't remember what it was, but it was a sort of bit of a mix of quite a lot of different things. I think I probably gave him first turn and he didn't do all that much because he couldn't get to me. And then we just sort of pitched in, had various scraps throughout the rest of the game. So I think broadly I ignored I ignored one of the sides and kind of went straight to try and get his home objective and then grabbed the objective on the other side. Kragnos killed the Mongol turn one, um, which was probably always going to happen, I guess. But it was it's nice what to have it deserves. Kragnos doing something. And then my two big gargants just had big scraps with most of his ghosts. He did definitely have the damage to take them out, so I think my gatebreaker died maybe on turn two. The banshees in particular did very well. They were sort of very good at I was I was killing them, but never enough to wipe the unit, and then he'd just do things and bring loads of them back again. And they mm-hmm. put out a lot of damage. But I think they there was a key turn three was probably the sort of key turn. I think he failed a battle tactic to Failed bring it down on one of my gargants, um, and I killed quite a lot of stuff. Kragnos had a really good game in this game. He just ran around the board and killed ghosts. Uh, so after that, I think it was a fairly comfortable win for me in the end, certainly on points, um, just because I've been standing on objectives for a lot of the game. I ended up with quite a big win in terms of victory points. Uh, and I think it was... I think I don't think I denied him his grand strategy, so I don't think it was a twenty nil in the team score in terms, but it was a reasonably comfortable win. It was an eighteen two. Okay. I'm looking at. at least yeah. I thought it was reasonably comfortable. Though obviously you did not think the same looking over at my game. <laughs> I think that's one of the things is it it without the ability to like have an in depth conversation with another player, sometimes it can be difficult from board state alone to ascertain Yeah exactly how well it's going. I mean, sometimes it's really obvious. So, like, um, the table behind me was Luke playing up against Lumineth, and about 45 minutes into the round, I looked over at the table, and his whole army was in their deployment zone, and there was about three models left in the Lumineth army. Um, so that, I had a pretty good idea, was probably going to be all right. Uh, but yeah. sometimes when it's like, especially with maybe Gargans, when you're down to two models, you had, like, two models left, and one was, like, way over in the middle of nowhere and it was like is that good <laughs> yeah is no that- i can see that actually yeah. yeah i think one of my megas did die quite early no actually, the other key moment of the oh, game yeah. that i do want to mention is that my kraken eater had a turn when he managed to scoop two spirit hosts into his net which required rolling two sixes <laughs> and was very funny um quite they, impressive. it was quite late in the game it didn't really affect anything but i enjoyed it yeah, it was, a, it was a good game to start off the day with because it's always good to get the win, but also, you know, my opponent was really nice and it was quite a sort of chilled, enjoyable game, which is always yeah. a good start to the tournament. It is a good start. Um, How do you keep a ghost in a net? don't know, but his name is now Ghost Scooper. So we'll oh, that's amazing. Emergent narrative. There you How go. was your game, Matthew? Yeah, my game was interesting. Uh, so I was playing Power in Numbers, which is the sixth objective scenario where you can burn any objective, and I think the points are based on how long you've held it. So there's some sort of give and take on how much you risk burning your own objectives, which is it's quite a nice battle plan. They fixed all the old problems with it, so you can't burn turn one anymore. So there's some good stuff in it. I was up against the spare player, so Gargants. Uh, it was piloted for this round by Chris Tomlin, the TO. I had this matchup down as a bad loss <laughs> on our planning spreadsheet. And I noticed looking at, we did a little bit of very basic analysis on our pre tournament predictions versus what actually happened afterwards. And I realized I drafted myself a predicted bad loss in every round. <laughs> oh, 
So. Just taking one for your, your teammates. That's good captainship. I think this round when we were drafting, I think I said the scenario is good for me, but actually I just wanted to play Chris. That's so fair. I drafted the matchup for myself uh, to do that because uh, I thought it would be fun. This was also the matchup. Oh, there was also a second ulterior motive was um, when we turned up to the hotel on the, or the Airbnb on the Friday night, I realised I'd left my faction terrain at home. And normally I'd have taken the L on that one and just lived my life without a boat. But then on the Saturday morning, I realised that my grand strategy was based around having that boat. So I begged Chris as we deployed if he could provide provide a suitable piece of terrain for me to use for the weekend, which he very magnanimously did. And everyone I played against later, I did ask, is this okay? And everyone was okay, thankfully. Um, so that was good of him. That That's was nice, my yeah. that was my second ulterior motive uh, <laughs> in, in taking this matchup was to make my life easier, not having to go upstairs to begin. This is yeah, this is quite an interesting one. So in our test games, Gargans versus Deepkin, I'd been absolutely battered, just really struggled to kill them, and had my army removed very rapidly. So I assumed that something similar was going to happen. But obviously, uh, Chris, being the spare player, had never played this army before and had announced to me during deployment that his plan was to just put it in the middle and see what happened, um, which is what he did. So this is a really weird scenario for Guggins. So in a way, it's really good because battle line counts. Uh, battle line count better than other models. I don't exactly remember how it works. but it I sort think of has priority, have... right? So yes. Battle right, line's yeah. holding an objective, nothing else counts. Yeah, if you have battle line on it, then mm-hmm. only enemy battle line can contest it. Yeah, so that's good for him because his all of his models are battle line. They all count as twenty for capturing the objective, and I don't have a unit above ten. In Actually, my I think army. he might have been taker tribe, so they might have. He was taker tribe. Yeah, he was. Um, so that is theoretically very good for him. The downside to him is because it's six objectives, he will struggle to hold them all. Um, against my army that moves very, very fast. And that's kind of what ended up happening, is he ran his army forwards very aggressively. He gave me first turn, and I played it very boring. I just did some shooting. And the shooting was actually really good. So, like, I took eight damage off of one Gargan and ten off of another. Like, I did a little bit of chip shooting from Sharks and Reavers. It was pretty good. Um, yeah, that's decent. But I didn't really move. I just kind of shuffled around. Uh, expected him to run at me. So but essentially what his plan was was to move up into the middle, turn one, then turn two, gamble on the priority, fight my army, take all the objectives and just instantly burn everything and win. Uh, <laughs> that was his plan. So he moved everything in his army up. He got one charge off and killed the Reavers, which is okay, whatever. And he was sat on one of my objectives but couldn't burn it because it was still turn one. So he had like one Gargant kind of way ahead of all the others. And then into the turn two priority, he didn't get it. Um, so we actually had a game, which was quite nice. I don't really know how I could have stopped him doing that had he won the prio. Uh, I was deployed pretty far back anyway to try and stop him getting the big charges off early. Because if I deployed more aggressively forwards, he would have been getting lots of Gargants in turn one. I'm not... Not super sure. Um, anyway, yes. it didn't happen, so we don't have to worry about it. So I used that prior turn to take off his Gargan that he'd put 
into my army with a whole load of eels. Uh, and it did the usual thing of like really overcommitting with eels. But killed one of his gargants, so had a big scoring turn. And then I think the important thing that happened here that was the big game swing was I put the sharks really aggressively ran them because it was turn two so I have run and shoot or run and charge and I ran and shot them into his territory and so at that point whilst he is running at my backline I'm doing the same to him so he's forced to either lose his objectives whilst trying to take mine and it's not a guarantee he'll take mine necessarily he'll have one turn before high tide to try and take mine back or he has to run back to deal with the sharks which is what he did so he runs his kraken eater back to deal with the sharks so he's lost the gargant he's ran one back he kills the sharks with them obviously but his army's like super split up at this point and he can only put the gargants into me piecemeal it's like the main piece of my army and that basically is what Loses him the game at that point. We go into high tide. And I think I kill all but one. I, I don't know. I, I I do a bunch of damage to them. I basically leave like two gargants on the board, one on three health and one on one. And Whoa. then in... <laughs> yeah. And then going into his turn, uh, it's still high tide. And so my favourite moment in the game, the Ishran Soul Render kills a Gatebreaker Mega Gargant with his fish. Oh, yeah. That's totally normal. <laughs> Just wow. slaps it, gives him the fish. Yeah, this game was good fun. I think I got the 20. Killing Gargants gets you so many VP. And I had like two big scoring turns of burning objectives. The Sharks for splitting his army up were really important. But the real MVP here was the little allied unit of ether wings I had, which I just jumped from house to house. Like I used them to screen the army initially from his shooting. But then I kept jumping them from terrain up the board towards his objectives. And he, you can't admit a gargant to kill three the wings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. they will still take your objective if you don't let them. So they were a thorn in his side he couldn't get rid of. So that was good fun. Nice. That was probably the most use they were for me all the weekend. But That's how they should be used, really, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So I think the other results of the round was... Uh, Chris, our daughter's player, played into Skaven. Yeah, we his... thought this was. Go on. Sorry, I was just going to say I don't know how in detail we want to go about other people's games, yeah. but I was just going to say that uh, his description of this game includes the phrase "shot to shit." So, yeah, this one was weird. So I think we can go into detail on in this one. Um, well, not detail, but just like mm. the Skavenist was weird. Uh, There's no storm fiends. It was lots of weapons teams and like big blocks of clan rats and a vermin lord deceiver, which is you don't see it that often. So I think it was piloted by uh, someone I played at Blackouts, who I knew to be a pretty good general, um, and I knew he was a Skaven player. So I assumed that there was reason behind the madness, and it turns out that yes, there was. Yeah, I think we uh, underestimated this list, for sure. Yeah. Not not the player necessarily, but the list we looked at and couldn't make sense of. But mm-hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, yeah, Chris's army doesn't like being shot, and uh, he got shot quite a lot. I think he was still within his grasp. Like, yeah. He still chewed through clan rats, which is what you have to do in this scenario, but yeah. Yeah. It takes a while to beat out a block of 60 clan rats on a battle line only objective, right? So, <laughs> oh, They die in droves, but yeah. And then Michael lost 20 nil. I can't remember who he played against. He was playing against... Soul Blight, uh, I think. Soul Blight, right, yes. Monster-heavy Soul Blight. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that looked like a rough one. It was like Manfred Neferata, Prince of Dry, who's a special character zombie dread, and a Bengorian lord. And um, I think he just ran it all up super quick and just outfought him, which is fair enough. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, and Luke played against... Uh, LRL, yeah. LRL, yeah. we've already mentioned, basically just tables his opponent Sorry. really quickly. Yeah. So. Five awards are good. Who knew? Turns out, who knew? Five awards and disease yeah. rolls are good, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, it's what you said last time, right? Your opponent has a really bad time whilst they take your army off the board. Yeah, yeah. So this round we got a very narrow win overall. I think we went three and three in the games, but the wins we had were bigger and the losses we had were smaller, obviously. So like Rich said, that 13-7 loss, those three points actually ended up mattering for the round win overall. Which is very good. So I think we got two max wins and one pretty big win, and they only got the one max win. So, yeah. Which, yeah, looking at our predictions, I think that's pretty much maybe how we... We maybe thought Chris would have done better, but knowing what we do now, that was probably an error. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that sounds like a very subtle drag of Chris. <laughs> no, I, I think, think it's more of a, a subtle knock more on, of a drag on me. I know, I, know, I, know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm only, I'm only kidding. Yeah, I, that's uh, one overarching thing of the weekend is walking back to everyone, telling them their matchups, and everyone thinking I'd bust them. Um, which is, you <laughs> I think know, we did all right. I don't think I there think were we any rounds when we, we completely okay. made a hash of it. I think we were yeah. okay. And you can't, you, the way the system works is you can't dictate every matchup. Sometimes you do have to pick the best of a, a bad situation, and um, maybe sometimes your teammate doesn't agree on what the, the best of that bad situation was, but. Well, no, but it's a team game. It's a team game. Yeah. No, I don't think we did too badly. I did say to you, I came over to you in round two to thank you for the bus ticket, but <laughs> I was probably being melodramatic. So I think we well, all got bussed in round two. <laughs> that was a team, a team bussing. Yeah. Shall we? So, shall we move on to that, or have you got anything else you want to say about round one? No, I think they were good. Good team. Good fun. I had lovely, fun with that game. All lovely. Yeah, it was really one good. Really yeah. nice opponents. Yeah. yeah. We've played some of those before, like you yeah. say, but yeah, uh, good game. Uh, yeah, it was good to play against Chris in like one of his... F- He's not played a lot of AOS 3. So yeah, I think going into this round was really weird for us because in Brotherhood in 2020, we had a very narrow first round win and then got paired into a team of uh, playtesters. It was bad dice, right, was it? No, it was... No, it um, was some of the face hammer. Facehammer, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was a mix, wasn't it? Yeah. And then this round, uh, this year, 2022, we had a very narrow first round in and we got drafted into some playtesters. Uh, <laughs> there was some so, crossover with this team oh, and yes. that other team, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. So I doubt that they remembered us particularly much, but we certainly remembered that absolute battering we got in 2020. <laughs> so this is one we can maybe skip over, right? Yeah, I've I've not got many words about my game other but it's, So I think you know. we all lost pretty big. I think the only person to get any points out of this round at all was you, Laura. How did you do that? Yeah, so I played Mike with Night Haunts. It was my second game in a row against Night Haunts, so I now had some idea what they did. Um but yeah, I mean he Mike was just a better player than me and you clearly had been playtesting Night Haunts, I think he said, and knew them extremely well. <laughs> so he was very he basically his idea his plan was he had everything in a bubble. 
he made sure I could only fight stuff that I was horribly debuffed against. And then when his units took damage, he rotated them out and replaced them with things that hadn't taken damage and then brought all his models back. Um, and he did that extremely well and didn't make any bad mistakes that I could capitalize on. Um, and I definitely did make some mistakes. I think I made, I, there was a time when I took priority and I shouldn't have done. And then he didn't remove the objective I expected him to remove and instead removed one that destroyed my entire game plan. And he also did some very clever redeploy to um, stop me getting a battle tactic at one stage, I think. So it was definitely a game. And I think, you know, I was beaten by a better player who just knew his army very well and made good decisions. But yeah, mm. it was fine. Um, it wasn't, you know, there was, I didn't really ever think I was going to win, but there was things I could play for, I guess. Um, and I think his grand strategy was prized sorcery, which is keep all his wizards alive so mm. when it became very clear that I was not going to win, I concentrated on trying to kill his wizards and did manage to do that. So I got a point, which I was quite and nice. That, that really is sort of perfect team event play. Like you did exactly the right thing in that situation. It ended up not mattering a job, but you don't know how the other game's going while you're at your table, right? Yeah. So that's exactly yeah. what you should do. How about you, exactly. Matthew? How was yours? <sighs> <laughs> this I think every tournament I go to I have one game where I'm like this one hurts this is the one I'm going to think about right like this is the one I fucked up um, so that was this round for me um, I was playing Feral Foray which certainly is uh, a battle plan that exists in Age of Sigma it's fine I was playing against Stormcaster to- oh no sorry it says Living City here but it looks like there's quite a lot of Stormcast in it. Um, so it's pretty normal. Uh, I say it's pretty normal living city. It's a bit weird. So he had the little Black Ark Fleet Master as his general. And uh, this is like a nothing hero, super cheap. It does two things, basically. He has an artifact that means when he's on terrain, it can't get shot. So it's very easy to keep that general alive. Um, which potentially denies out an easy battle plan to some opponents, a battle tactic into some opponents, which is a pretty clever play. The other thing it does is unlocks Scourge on a Chariot's his battle line, which he had three of as his battle line. Then he had yeah. two units of Iron Drakes. I don't know why it was two units rather than one big unit, but that's how he ran it. And the hero that gives them extra rend. And then he had two units of four Fulminators and the Stormcast hero with Teleport Flag. The Who? Relictor? No. Oh. The Relictor's the priest. It's the... The Knight Vexilor. The Knight oh. Vexilor, that's wow. the one. I didn't realise he could teleport as well. He So the Vexilor, I think there are three different banner options for the Vexilor. One does mortal wounds. One is the new one, which I can't remember what it does. I think it brings models back. And the other one is one that once per game lets you teleport a unit. And that's the good oh, one. Right. Um, but that's key to making the list work as he pointed out to me. So apparently, so obviously the, the gimmick to this army with Living City, they have a command ability called Strike and Melt Away, which uh, is supposed to be your Wood Elves that you have loads of in your Living City army, shooting and then moving away from the enemy so they don't get charged. Uh, what it actually is, is Fulminators appearing on a board edge, shooting and moving directly forwards towards you so they can get a three-inch charge. Um, totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. Very thematic. Love it. Love that this this is in the game in 2022. Great. However, apparently lots of people play this wrong. So if you're a Living City player, 
please place correctly. Uh, and it's the reason he had the Knight Vexel with the banner is that that Strike and Melt Away command ability requires a hero to issue the command, even if uh, the unit can normally command themselves. Like in the wording of the command ability, it says it needs to have a hero nearby to do it. So oh. actually what the Vexel is there to do is teleport himself next to the unit of Fulminators that comes on. Oh, that's, yeah, I never realised that. That's yeah. quite significant. Neither did I. Briefly but... making me worried I'd cheated horribly with my Living City Army, but I've only ever used that with Darth Vader <laughs> when he is a hero, so we're okay. That works out, yeah. There's a lot. This is a super cagey game. Um, so I think this is another scenario where you can burn objectives, but only in your opponent's deployment zone. And I've played against Stormcaster a lot in my life, so I spent a lot of time screening out all these deep strikes, and he had nowhere good to come in. And I chewed up all his chariots. I had... I took one of his objectives in my turn two and burned that. And then I was threatening one of his other home objectives. So I think I was doing pretty well. He, because he couldn't get in anywhere good on his turn two, he brought on a unit of Fulminator sort of on the side and you and shot a unit of my Namata and used that to get a move in onto a unit of my Morsar Guard. Uh, so he did kill that unit. There's not really anything more I could have done to stop that happening. <laughs> like I'm screening out the whole board as it is. They've got a 12-inch move after they shoot. There's only there's only so much I can do to stop that. Um, but I I done about as well as I could at that point. I felt I wasn't in control of the game, but I was in contention for the game. And then uh, turn three, turn four, something like that. Um, I forgot to move a unit of Namatai. Um, so completely my fault. There was no reason for me to do it. Um, but that left a gap in the back of my army, which he then brought his second unit of formulators in because I did kill the first unit of formulators he brought on in response. So it was a pretty... I think I traded up in points on that because I only lost the the um, Morsar. So that wasn't a disaster. It was a completely recoverable situation. He had had to bring on his Iron Drakes in his own deployment zone because they were also in deep strike to deal with my sharks, which he hadn't even fully killed. So, like, pretty nice situation for me. But this second unit of Fulminators coming in got, like, right into the total middle of my army and just, like, ripped it to shreds. I just don't have a defense against that many Ren 2, damage 3, or damage 2 attacks. It just, like, blows through a whole unit, whatever it touches. And I think he managed to touch a couple of units with that first charge. That was still recoverable. I still had some army left, but only got a double. And it was, at that point... Totally over. I think I think I got tabled in this game. Oh uh, yeah, I had like a, a punt uh, battle tactic, uh, a really cheeky deepkin one that did not come off, and in doing so, also lost me my grand strat. So I got uh, zero points out of this round, uh, much like the rest of the team. <laughs> wow. um, it's just one of those games where you're so pissed off at myself, but in that moment, also you have to try to not be really visibly pissed off because your opponent will think you're pissed off at them, but I wasn't. Yeah, uh, wasn't yeah, angry yeah, at him yeah. at all. He did totally the right thing. Yeah, so that's annoying. Yeah. That's it's learned, it's hard to, to not, for that person not to feel like you're yeah. projecting that anger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, My exactly. least favourite thing in a tournament is when the moment when you realise you've made a mistake and you have to kind of pretend you haven't in case your opponent hasn't noticed it yet. Because my immediate yeah. reaction to noticing I've made a mistake is to tell my opponent exactly what mistake I've made and berate myself for it. But yeah. if you're actually yeah, playing yeah. competitively, that is not always a good idea. And I find that really hard. Yeah, it's difficult as well because you don't want to, like, even if it's something you've gone past and it wouldn't be like, oh, I, I need to not tell them about this just in case they haven't noticed, where you, uh, like, don't 
um, it just sometimes when you acknowledge something, it can feel like you're kind of going, oh, can we take it back? Even when you're not. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that can just make it a bit awkward. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it was a kind of a frustrating game, but, you know, in hindsight, it's still an enjoyable game. It's not one of those things. I kind of just wish that army didn't exist. <laughs> I think there's yeah, like, it's weird. There's a couple of archetypes that I just wish weren't in the game anymore. They feel very left over from not even 2.0. They feel really like very early Sigma in how they play. Um, and I just wish we could get those new books out and we could get rid of them. Uh, and I will play another of those armies later in this tournament, so there's some foreshadowing for you. Um, I should offend Cities of Sigmar at this point, because I love Cities of Sigmar. I'm so happy that book exists, at least for the next six months or so. I feel like the problem here is Fulminators, not Living City. But anyway, I, yeah, I think it's a combination of the It's a combination of the two, right? But yes, yeah. The players that round, so I think Michael got a lovely Stormcast, on Stormcast bit of violence. Uh, where he was playing against an army that had more of the better dragons than his. I would be remiss not to point out that he also made a colossal mistake this round, and I think he would enjoy me pointing it out, in that when he deployed, he deployed his army assuming that his opponent's long strikes would be in deep strikes, so he wouldn't be able to shoot them turn one and then deployed his own long strikes on the board, forgetting they could go into deep strike for the same reason. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, getting them murdered turn one. So Perfection. Good. Yes, exactly. Perfect. You live and you learn, I suppose. And then Chris played Deepkin, which we didn't really know what that matchup looked like, but I think the specific Deepkin army he played, it looks pretty bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, it's just loads of shooting which the daughters do not like, and models that can tank the Shadow Queen quite well with very high saves or ward saves, things like that. And I think he also got caught out by the auto-win conditions on this scenario, where basically he thought that you checked for the win conditions at the end of Battle Round 3, where in fact you check for the win conditions at the start of Battle Round 3. So if you end Battle Round 2 in a position that would be losing the game, there's nothing you can do about it, that's it, game's over. Which is a very short game, and again, his opponent didn't necessarily do anything wrong by not pointing this out, and Chris is obviously playing a different game to him. It's kind of a, a... Bad feel on that part, and also just this is a bad feel scenario in general, right? Every time they have tried to do this auto-win scenario, it has sucked, and it's not necessarily just that it's an auto-win, but it's a game you can lose having only played two turns, which is just just crap AOS, right? I basically had this happen to me at Brotherhood 2020. My opponent, Mm. to his credit, had tried very hard to explain to me how the scenario worked, and I had not entirely followed, um, and then I felt very silly for having just not known how the scenario worked properly. So, yeah. yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because once you made that mistake once, you're never going to make it again, you will know exactly how that scenario works forevermore. But if the first time you get caught out by it is in a tournament, it is a bit yeah. of a bad feel situation through no one's fault. It's just a thing that happens, I guess. No, yeah. Also, it doesn't get used in packs very often, possibly for the reason that everyone hates it. The yeah. format of this particular event meant all the battle plans got used, I think, and some of them twice. Uh, yeah. So I, I played that one as well. I guess we mm-hmm. can talk about that quickly. 
I don't have a lot to say on it, but uh, <laughs> I played Ricky Me, who's like a really well-established tournament player, has been for many years. Um, he was playing Archeon, two units of Vanguard, Sorcerer Lord, a Chaos Lord with the Arcane Tome, so they're also a Sorcerer. So the classic list, and then some chat yeah. to screen. So Control C, Control V that into every other team in this event, Baros. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I went first, uh, moved some stuff up, tried to kill one of his screens, forgetting that it was Battleshock immune with the coach. So left the coach in a position where I was like, oh, it's cool. It's going to be able to like reposition away. And then it, it couldn't because it was trapped in combat. So <laughs> that was stupid. He went into uh, his turn one, did Archeon's, oh, is it called Dark Visions or something, where he knows what the priority is going to be. Yeah. Um, I think Oracular Visions is reroll saves, actually. Oh, it is. Shit, yeah. You're right. Anyway, did the classic, filled Archeon up with juice, uh, knew what was going to happen. Uh, charged his whole army forwards, at which point I was like, hmm, I think he might be getting a double turn. He got a double turn. After his double turn, I had nothing on the board and two units of Blade Geist in the sky still. So he brought those down to try and score a battle tactic, tried to charge them onto his backfield objective so that we still had a game, but I only got one there, which meant um, going into round three, like he won the priority roll. We chose to go second and deleted that objective, so he held all the remaining objectives and I lost. Which is fair enough. Like he's a very good player. To his credit for being a very good player, playing me, um, really polite, really friendly. Like w- never treated me with like derision or anything. Which I think is a credit to pretty much everyone we played. Actually, like and experience. Like I would there's no like oh I'm actually I'm, derided. No, but there was no like oh I'm scraping you on off the bottom of my shoe on my way to the podium kind of thing. It was just. Um, yeah, perfectly nice, like taken seriously. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> I have no memory of who Luke played, but he got whopped. Uh, he played Daughters, I think. He played Daughters, and he, yeah. He did, he did get a 20 0 loss, but it was a game that went on for quite a long time, I think. He, yeah. He, you know, lasted in sort of elapsed time terms longer than any of the rest of us. So I think he had quite a good <laughs> game, even if the outcome was. Still the same. I think it was tight for a long time, yeah. And okay. just had the oh, ends. yes, I remember. Yeah, this really did go down to the wire, didn't it? Because we were all stood around watching it happening. And it was his great and clean one surviving an unusually long time. And then we all groaned as he picked it up. And we were like, oh, maybe he's moving it. No, it's coming off the board. <laughs> I remember you turning to me and saying, did Nurgle have a teleport? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, it's dead. Yeah. Okay. I retract my he got battered. It, it looks like he did from the score, which is, I think mm. sometimes uh, the score system for this tournament, score all sorts of score systems in AOS, it's one thing maybe it struggles with as a game system is that the final score doesn't necessarily reflect the game that just happened and how close it could have been. Especially when, like, even with the ones that don't have a built-in big score swing, if you have mm. a four or five round game that's really tight, it tends to erupt into a big score swing right mm. at the end when you, like, get a battle tactic, deny a grand strat, and get a final round of objective scoring all at yeah. once kind of thing, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... This is absolutely not the time to be trying to workshop what the solution to that is. I'm just going to ignore that I ever had that thought. <laughs> Away. So yeah, that was a 
That was a max loss first. So the way this event works is that there was a cap on the lowest score you could get and the highest score you could get just to stop teams either running away with a massive score, uh, making them uncatchable, and to also mean the reverse couldn't happen and a team could not bottom out and be having absolutely nothing to play for in the last rounds. We, we got what is known as capped. And then we had round three, which was the round where we played Eat Bats, which is, I think, the round we were all most excited to play, right? Yeah, love playing against Eat Bats, guys. They're all lovely. Hmm. So, again, Eat Bats was a team we played at Brotherhood 2020, and I think we pretty heavily outdrafted them then, and they heavily outplayed us. And this time, I'd love to say the reverse happened, but what actually happened is they outdrafted us and then outplayed us as well. <laughs> so. This was another round that I felt was uh, winnable for us. It didn't go like super badly, but uh, it could have gone a lot better, I think, than it actually did. But they are a very experienced team, actually. And that yep. showed. Uh, yeah, they've got a lot of Warhammer in general and also AOS experience. Yeah. So. They're also, they were taking very good armies, so I think one of their players provided three of the armies that they were. So they weren't just taking their own little hobby projects. They they were taking the tournament pretty seriously. Has anyone got an exciting game to talk about? I have a really unexciting game to talk about this one. I had a really good game. I think it was probably my best game of the tournament. So, oh, so I played Ollie with OBR. Um, and I have an OBR army, so this was quite, you know, having just played two games against Nighthorn, the one I'd had no idea what they did, it was quite nice to go into a game and think, right, okay, I have a reasonable idea of what this army's going to do. So he had Catacross, um, two units of 20 Mortec Guard, I think, one supported by a Harvester. Uh, he had, um, I'm forgetting all the names of things, the little hero in the chair, and then the Bone Shaper. And he had Kano's Reapers. That's the one. And he had a unit of Death Riders. Uh, we were playing Power Struggle, which isn't a great scenario for me because it's five objectives and I only have four models in my army. But on the other hand, <laughs> it does support shoving all your models towards the middle, which is quite a good thing for me to be able to do. So I didn't think it was that bad. So broadly, my strategy was that I was trying to largely ignore his unit of Mortec Guard that was supported by a Harvester because I know they're really hard to kill and go after everything else. So I think I gave him turn one and he pushed his stuff forward fairly aggressively. And then on my turn one, I think I got into something, a small unit in the middle, like maybe the little units of guys that come with Kanan's Reapers. So I took them off and then my Gatebreaker charged his unit of Death Riders and completely fluffed it and killed one and a half, which turned out to be quite important because that meant he was sort of tied up and couldn't do the things I wanted him to do. And the Death Riders were able to retreat out and go and grab objectives, which was quite frustrating. Um, but anyway, what we ended up with was a really important fight in the middle between I think it was Kragnos and the Kraken Eater for me and then he had Catacross and a unit of Mortec Guard um, and there was some quite tricky decisions about activation order because Catacross gets much better at fighting as he takes damage mm. so there was a sort of question of did I just ignore Catacross try and leave him on 
high health, so we wouldn't be able to do that much damage and really focus on the Mortec Guard. But I think what happened was when my Krakenita charged in, he did six mortal wounds to Catacross, so I felt, well, okay, at this point, I've just got to go for Catacross. Um, but what ended up happening was that I had a turn where I left Catacross alive on one wound, and I left one Mortec Guard alive, which meant I failed my battle tactic, which was to kill Amazing. the Mortec Guard. And that was huge and quite frustrating. Um, I think I was really scared of... I was too scared of Catacross in hindsight because I think what happened then was I won the priority and I took it because I thought, well, I can just wipe those units. Whereas what Ollie thought I should have done and probably what I actually should have done was to give the turn away, at which point Catacross would have had one big turn of fighting into something and maybe would have killed Kragnos. But I think that probably wouldn't have been the end of the world. And then my other Gargan who was in that fight would have been freed up to go and do things. He's not that fighty, Catacross. It's really. Kragnos had already taken damage at that point, so uh, he was definitely very much in danger. But I think that would probably. I think in hindsight, Ollie was probably right, and I should have given that turn away. So what ended up happening was I'd taken out most of his stuff except for his other unit of Mortec Guard, but I was slightly behind on points. And so I didn't manage to get quite enough points out of the last couple of turns by running Gargants onto objectives and grabbing battle tactics and things to catch up. So it ended, I think I lost 20 to 23 point victory points in the game, which was really close. And if I'd managed to kill that one Mortec guard and gain my battle tactic, that would have been worth exactly three points. So yeah, it was a really, really close game. It was really, really fun. Um, Ollie was a really good opponent. So yeah, I was I was disappointed to lose because I think the matchup is probably slightly in my favour, though maybe the scenario was slightly against. But yeah, really good game. Good. Nice. It sounds like knowing the army really helped you sort of have a competitive game there, which I think mm-hmm. is like credit to owning a few armies and playing a lot with all of them. Yeah. Or, you know, it's, it's a huge part of being good at AOS is just knowing what what you can afford to chuck stuff into and what you have to be scared of, I think. It was really interesting watching people watching people's decisions on target priority against me because I think some people were just like, I'd ignore Kragnos completely because I'll never kill him. And some people were kind of, Kragnos is going down first, which is probably the better approach. Mm-hmm. So it is quite interesting yeah. seeing how different people approach things like feels that. feels like a, a lot of people don't really know what Kragnos does other than maybe oh he does a lot of mortal wounds and he's good at charging and similarly with gargants as well i think speaking from experience even though i've played them a few times now and kind of get it you just kind of look at gargants and go which one does what like what's the difference <laughs> like they i just know they sit on objectives and i have to kill one at a time basically <laughs> like so yeah i think like knowing that stuff and being familiar with your opponent's war scrolls can give you a really good boost mm. yeah. yeah definitely I think, the, yeah, like the biggest learning curve for me over the weekend was just like learning what six more Sargard can and cannot kill. Uh, and that is for your decision making, obviously, quite important. Yeah, especially when they're a points investment, right? So, yeah. Which I can use to handily slide into my game, which would be Go quite quick. So, I was playing um, versus John Williams with the Slave to Darkness list. The exact same the one. list. <laughs> yeah. So John, actually, again, I played him at the last Brotherhood. He was playing Archeon then, and that game ended with Stormfiends killing Archeon. So this was his revenge game. We were playing on the Vice, so this game is essentially summed up by um, my army can't kill Archeon, and we were playing on the Vice, so he won. <laughs> and that's kind of... There's nothing really more no. you can say. It's basically the trick here is because the slaves are darkness. Everything in his army is marked zinch. 
in Slave to Darkness, what the Zinchmark does is reorms to save, which is a mechanic they've been carving out of every single other book that had it. You know, Nagash got his re-scroll, War Scroll rewritten, so he can't do it anymore. But for some reason, Slave to Darkness get to keep it for the moment. I guess they have a new book coming at some point in the winter, so good riddance to that then. Um, but what that basically means is because he's got all these wizards, he's got Mystic Shield, he's got plus one save from the Sorcerer as well, I think, separately. I don't exactly remember. It's my Slaves to Darkness knowledge. Then he's got all-out defense. So he's got a very easy plus one to save and ignore rend two. My army caps out at rend two. So he is on a two plus re-rolling once. I just can't kill. I, I put, I think, 10 damage in on my high tide, and that was game. At that point, he just uh, chopped the rest of it up. And at the same time, he's got Varangard running around at um, also with access to save stacking uh, if they need it. Also re-rolling their saves. It's just uh, impossible yeah. to shift. Obviously, some armies will blow through that because he only has the four-up save against mortals. But Yeah, I've been chatting to John a bit this weekend, actually, at another event, and he's of the opinion, and I think I agree, that the real way you deal with that list is kill the Varangard, like ignore Archeon. Mm-hmm. He is one thing that rampages, and you feed him a unit a turn to try to slow him down. If you're playing on the vice, on the vice. <laughs> but yes, the vice, the vice <laughs> negates that obviously. And my reaction to that, thinking about my game round two, was like, oh yes, I will simply kill the uh, kill the Varen cards <laughs> like, yeah. with fifteen wounds from Rend One ghosts. Mm. Mm. Maybe not. And yeah. they're three ups, three rolling ones. So yeah, I could have I could have done that, and I I did kill some Varen guards, um, but I would have lost the game. So yeah. it's yeah. sort of the result is kind of moot here. I knew going in that this was an absolutely awful game for me um and i i think i took it for other matchup related reasons but yeah, yeah that's fair that john's a lovely opponent so he i'm is, sure you yeah, had a nice really time nice. while you were being I had smashed. a lovely time as we both sort of mutually very dimly remembered we'd played in the past but yeah <laughs> um i also had a, a person i played previously uh, a few times at a few different events which was jimbo uh, i really like the games i've had with jimbo in the past uh, to the point that when we were doing matchups on this sheet i wrote I don't think it's my best matchup, but I'm totally happy to play Jimbo. <laughs> so thankfully I ended up with that match. Um, You're welcome. This is a really good game. Uh, it was quite tight as well. So I was running into like a troops heavy Daughters of Cain list. This was a weird Daughters of Cain list that you can tell was like skewed for a tournament, like a no, team tournament. No Marathi and like no. 90 Witch Elves, two Gladiatrix, I think it was. 70 Witch Elves, two oh, Gladiatrix, okay. two Hag Queens and the Cauldron. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, love playing Jimbo. Um, his opinion on assist was, I thought it, you know, it might be good with controlled matchups. And I think he'd had sort of a middling time up till then. I killed all of his Witch Elves because a lot of them <laughs> ran away, not being able to do Inspiring Presence. He played well at the end. We said they're really, really experienced players. So he played well with the positioning of things and some like good use of character skills. Like the Gladiatrixes can be really mean. Uh, so he just like got double in turn four that let him do some good stuff and like secure a points advantage that I couldn't come back from. I don't really remember, I won't say I don't remember a lot of this game, but basically... How many points deep were you at this point? Well, I I won't speak for Jimbo, but I know I drank more during this game than I did for the rest of the day. And I don't drink heavily at tournaments normally or at all, but I think that's testament to how much fun I was having. We were both laughing the whole time, catching up. So yeah, really, I lost, but really, really good game. Really enjoyed it. Good. And then who else... Uh, Michael played... Played Corn. Corn? Was it Dan? I think it's Dan who's playing Corn. Mm. Um, 
which um, his comment was fucking corner, I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's corner and they're, they're quite a technical army again. And if you don't know exactly what they can do, it can be difficult to play into them. I think maybe Scarbrand happened this game. I think I there think was a key was... priority role that yeah. Michael didn't win, perhaps, was his yeah. Uh, yeah. recollection. Yeah. If I had any comment on it's it's, it's very weird being a, a captain in these games. Uh, so if I had any comment on Michael's play over the weekend. Uh, obviously, he doesn't play a lot of competitive AOS, so like, fair enough. Um, I think probably he wasn't aggressive enough with his army. I think he could probably have played it more aggro. We we played a a game between the two of us later where he did play aggro and had quite good success with it then. So maybe, but without seeing how his actual games played out, it's so hard to because he was saying like, how should I be playing these games uh, during the matchups? But you just it's so difficult to. Um, provide comments or feedback on that kind of thing because you're playing your own game, you're watching um, five other games happening, you're only seeing uh, sort of these occasional snapshots of board states. So who knows? And then Luke... Luke played Stormcast Dragons, and I think the Stormcast Dragons did their thing. He lost a 1,000 points of his army turn one before he'd had a turn... And that was kind of that. I don't think he'd ever played against this army before. So this was Long Strikes and Storm Drake Guard, which is, again, the news recently is that there's a new JHB coming. So can we say goodbye to that army, please? In whatever format they see fit to get rid of it, uh, I will support anyway. But yeah, that was just kind of irrecoverable damage very, very quickly, I think, that happened there. And then Chris got our one win for the round. He played the... Gargant army that got second best painted overall. And Judge's best And Judge's choice, yeah. It was really nice. Incredible Gargant army. He had a Gargant sitting on another Gargant's shoulders, which I absolutely love that conversion. It was so good. So incredible. Chris's army also completely gorgeous, and they had had a matching style, but um, Chris has, like, they both have this kind of, it's not grey scale, it's not the right way to remove, but it's very, like, grey and moody, but Chris has a red accent, and those Gargans had a blue accent, so it looked fantastic on the board. Yeah, both kind of desaturated, sort of grey, heavy, but with spot colour, like you say. Yeah, both amazing. But this was the vice as well, and I think the comment for this round from Chris was that uh, the Gargan player tried to play the vice, whereas what he should have been doing was just running at him. So he ended up doing the same thing. Chris Tomlin did to me round one, which is having to feed Gargants in piecemeal, which is just absolutely all the Shadow Queen wants, right, is to fight Gargants one by one by one. Uh, so that's what happened, and that was a max win for Chris. He said Gargants was pretty good for him going in, and it ended up being pretty good. So nice. Nice to see prediction meet reality there. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely didn't for me. I think I had OBR Dines and Army. I thought I could beat, and then I lost them. <laughs> Seemed like it was within your grasp, though. Yeah, definitely. It was a close. It was a, as I said, it was a super close game. Yeah, I think all of almost all of our predictions are vibes based rather than oh yeah, uh, based on any super. We, I put in a lot of practice games for this event, but even then, there's only so much practice you can reasonably do without playing Warhammer like constantly. So then yeah. we finished the day and had a was it a. When did we end up eating? Like a ten o'clock oh, pizza, like ten ten thirty maybe. Yeah, like yeah. I but it was good. It, it was good yeah. pizza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shout out to the 
names of those pizzas. Thanks, Slizzer Pizza. Um, Slizzer Pizza, including my absolute favourite, the one one two three five eight. It's Fibonacci Pizza, which is <laughs> possibly the best pizza name I've ever experienced ever. So yeah, it made my Hawaiian being called the Hawaii Five O almost normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So we going into round four. We knew the matchup in advance for this one, and we knew that we had a bye. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, the choice here was basically one of us pilot gargants, uh, or we all just pair off against each other, which is what we did in the end, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much we want to go into detail here, but I played the first in-person game of ARS I've ever played with Chris, and as is tradition when we play, he smashed me. So, <laughs> But it was really fun, and it was fun to put our armies on the table together, so... I played Luke's Maggotkin and Kragnos did 25 mortal wounds to Morbidex, which was the only mortal wounds he did against the monster all weekend. But that was fun. Nice. Good. I'm not sure it was nice. fun for Luke. It was fun for me. He was smiling. Doesn't uh, matter if there's pain in the eyes or not. So both, both of you two paired off and played practice rounds against what the next round's battle plans were going to be. Me and I think Michael. We just a random battle plan. Oh, uh, okay. We picked a, a narrative battle plan out of the Deepkin book and played that. <laughs> so that was good fun. I will shout out to that narrative battle plan as being actually good. So most of them are rubbish. There's so because like, we looked in the Stormcast book uh, and some of the other ones, and so many are like stop your opponent running off of this table edge. And like if you're Stormcast, especially that's quite hard, <laughs> hard to impossible, especially um, against Deepkin. Right. Yeah. Um, the one we played was a scenario where he had to move the objectives off the table edge and there were sort of slightly more complicated rules for controlling objectives and the objectives were little crowds of civilians that I could eat which is always fun uh, and we just sort of pushed models together and he smashed me off it was good yeah I had a laugh I had a no- very nice intro game to the day after quite a intense day one so it's nice to get a a more chill game in. I know some of us were praying for the round five buys so we could leave early, but given that also spoilers, Chris had a painting nomination, we probably couldn't have left that early because uh, no, no, we wouldn't have. And you had a painting nomination. Don't beat yourself I had, I down. A, I had a pity painting nomination. That's not. It, the, hey man, they all look the same when they're up on those tables. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird situation actually because um, I love the way Tomlin runs his painting. I've said it before and i'll say it again i think his way of so you self-nominated displays so you put your army up to be looked at and then he judges which are good enough to be looked at for voting and i think he said the initial names and chris's name came up and mine didn't which is fair enough he then did like a walk around of everyone who was uh nearly around and said don't worry your army's still nice i really like it but i think there's always like gonna be controversy with this kind of system because there were armies that got nominations that I thought maybe weren't quite as well painted as some that didn't, but it's always going to come down to personal choice at some point, right? And I think all that really speaks to is actually how good the painting standard was for this kind of event, especially because in the in the lead-up to it, he'd waived the, all the painting requirements bar, like, have your base done, right? Yeah. So, yeah, once he started getting drops, I think he was desperate yeah. to keep people in the event, right? Yeah. I think it's worth saying, like, Chris... His like full time job is a commission painter, and he quite mm-hmm. often gets input from Rob Ellis, who yeah. of Pro Paint 
um, podcast and being an excellent patron converter himself. So I think, like you say, there's some personal taste, but I think it's never one where I felt any like doubt about the choices. Really, mm-hmm. like I've I've always trusted that you know he's making sensible choices. So yeah, like yeah. <laughs> fair enough. But anyway, um, the initial names got called out, and then apparently one guy had told Chris that he wasn't going to win, so he wasn't going to bother putting his army out. So he asked me to put mine out instead. So fine. I also know I was never going to win because. It's the same army that didn't win anything at Blackout, but with all of the centerpiece models taken away. So, <laughs> deeply... When you put it like that, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but who cares, right? It's just nice to put your models out and have people look at them. That's sort of the point to me. I think we were talking about this separately afterwards, right? But there's like two steps, like different steps almost in the, the painting awards and the competition. Like You can paint to get a nomination, which is just paint an army quite nicely. Or, or if you're painting to win, that's like a whole different ballgame, right? You have to actually paint an army to win uh, yeah, the painting awards. Definitely. That's almost two universes apart. Like, yeah. yeah. And I always knew mine was just an army that was painted to be an army, which is so. Anything is always good, but Chris was painting to win. Uh, Chris with his daughters of Cain on me. So we were hoping he would. And I guess we'll come to that in the awards afterwards. Indeed. And then we go into round five, which is our last round. So this was the Battle for the Spoon. We were playing against Brotherhood 2020's losers, who team Get Fact. Yeah, this was it. This was decide the fate of Brotherhood, I guess. They were, I think, was it in 2020? They were known as Go Fact Yourself. So, they were, yeah. You know, not sure on the reason for the name change. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, the same pun in a different format. Okay. Beautiful. Endless. This was a Bristol crew, which I discovered upon hearing them speak. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, I guess I can go with this round, because this was sort of the dark mirror game for me of my round one. So I was playing Gargants again, in Power and Numbers again, which we'd said, obviously, originally was a terrible matchup for me, but we discovered was maybe okay. So we took, we offered this to them and they took it. I think we offered this and Daughters. No, it was them. a Sons Moor match against oh, me. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, you wanted to crack myself up and make a garden. Yeah. I did. I um, also wanted not to get the matchup I got, but never mind, we'll come to that. Yeah. Um, I think I tried to psych them out by saying I'd won this exact matchup already, but they did not take the bait on that one to, to go for the mirror. So I, I ended up taking the matchup. This is a very slightly different. One, so this was a Breaker Tribe, two Gatebreakers, two War Stompers. So this basically was like almost the exact reverse of the first game I played, apart from I still won it. So he gave me turn one again, and I did the exact same thing again, shuffled stuff around, shot things. But instead of running directly at me, he did exactly the same. Shuffled his Gargants around and did nothing. He then took the priority into two and didn't move again. So just sort of tap-danced around his own objectives. I thought, well... This is boring. So pushed my army really aggressively forwards, like everything up into the mid-board. Uh, I'd done a fair amount of shooting into his gargants, like spread across two of them, um, just because of ranges, and had one that was maybe just over half health, and I took a punt on a long bomb charge to try and kill it with Morsar, but um, didn't get it. So my plan here was basically win the prio into high tide, kill two megas, win the game. Uh, that I did not win the priority. So he then charged 
all of his mechas into me. So this is basically the opposite of the game versus Chris, whereas I got to fight them piecemeal before this time. I had to fight them all at once. It was still high tide, so it was sort of weird combats. Um, why I got to bracket some of his megas before they could fight, which is quite nice. There's it's amazing lot- how much difference that makes just getting that bracketing off straight yeah, away. Yeah, they it? don't they don't bracket that badly, but it does it does help a lot. This was just a really weird game. We both had kind of just bizarre dice, like I've just repeatedly failed two plus to hit attacks, just put like nothing through. Um, but then he would fight me and I would roll like four sixes to save versus his like damage four attacks and stuff. And it kept units fields alive. We should have been dead. So just ridiculous dice on either side. Um, and I think this game was one or two normal rolls or one priority going my way from being a 20 in my favor. Um, but that did not happen. So we had to scrap it out to round five, which came down to, I think, just me scraping through battle tactics that he couldn't and bringing down a uh, gatebreaker again with the fish from the soul render. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing fish. To get me a big Gargant score. So I won this game purely on Gargant killing VPs. So there is the hunt having a pretty big effect. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I'd have lost it by one or two VPs otherwise. Yeah. None of my games got significantly affected by that, I think. But Mm. I do think I feel quite strongly now it should only be one point for killing the (laughs) Gatebreaker and the Kraken Eater, not two. I think two is too big a swing, given that Gargants aren't right at the top of the meta anymore. They're sort of maybe mid-table to upper mid-table. Especially the Kraken Eater is just not that good. (laughs) Yeah. I like that my notes on my turn four for this game literally just say I'm a cursed man, as I think I left two Megas alive on one wound, which is just incredible. But like I said, it was it was weird dice on both sides. So another one where I think I was doing the intensely unchic thing of complaining about dice whilst winning. Uh, oh yeah, you just you can't do. Uh, so banned from Warhammer. Banned from Warhammer. Which I did apologise for, but obviously you don't do it. Um, so it was a super narrow win to me. So the, it was, a, I think, a 15-5 in the end. So I won the game, but he won everything else. So that was interesting. I think he asked, oh, do you think I played that right? And I think he did, basically. Because the aggressive version I got to play against as well, and that went worse. And it went worse because I could play around it a bit easier. But alternatively, if Chris had got the double in the previous game, it would have been over very quickly. So it's hard yeah. to say. Uh, I think that's an interesting one in that this is a matchup where the actual matchup's not great for me, but the scenario matchup is very good. So that makes yeah. a big difference. Uh, how about you guys? Go for it, Laura. So I had what I thought correctly, as it turned out, it was quite a tough matchup against Crawl Boys. So I'd never actually, I don't think I'd ever played Crawl Boys before, but they have a huge amount of damage potential with shooting, which means that if I just stand on objectives, which is what gardens do quite well, my gardens are going to die very quickly. Um, so I was playing a really nice guy called Ashley, I think, and his list was, it was quite a nice mix of stuff. He had a unit of nine Bolt Boys. He had some a couple of units of Gut Rippers and I think one of Hobgots. He had Gobsplack. He had a Sludge Raker. He had a Maya Brute Trogoth, and he had the Killer Bow. So I went first because I felt otherwise I was just standing there and being shot at, so I just tried to get everything across the board as quickly as I could. I got two Gargants into him turn one with the help of 
big 3D6 charges from Kragnos. But I think I didn't get Kragnos in because when I put the Gargants in, I didn't really leave a space for Kragnos. And that is possibly the one. Th- I mean, it would have been a big charge. You just had every chance he wouldn't have made it. But I think in hindsight, that's probably the thing I should have done differently is try to get Kragnos in. Mm. Um, I had quite a good turn one, so I took off all the screens and I got one of the Gargants into the Bolt Boys and killed six of them. So then I had a moment of hope, but then on his turn, he rallied back three of the Bolt Boys um, and it all went downhill very quickly. So I think he focused everything on my Gatebreaker and killed him and also put quite a lot of wounds on the Kraken Eater. Then I won priority into turn two, charged in Kragnos, hoping to kill the Sludge Raker with his impact hits, but Kragnos failed me in Rodder 7, which means he does no damage on the impact hits. So I was still able to kill the Sludge Raker with Kragnos in the fighting, but his Marboot Trogoths spiked heavily and put a load of damage on Kragnos, which left him on one wound, and then mm. my Kraken Eater fell over on top of Kragnos and killed him, because Kragnos oh does God. not have the Gargant keyword, and so is not immune to Gargant's falling on him. So I ended up being tabled at the halfway through turn two. Um, That's incredible. It wasn't as bad a loss as it sounded. I think it was an extremely stringy game. We both had moments when the dice were huge one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't think it was an unwinnable matchup. You know, if some dice, if Kragnos had done a whole load of mortal wounds to the Sludge Waker, that would have made a really big difference. And if he hadn't rallied back the Bolt Boys, that would also have made quite a big difference. But on the yeah. other hand, I had good dice with some charge rolls and stuff as well. So I think it's the kind of game I would probably lose sort of three times out of four, but maybe one time out of four. I think the dice go my way and it works out. Boys are a weird army competitively because you probably won't win an event with them because they're very dice based. But you can certainly make someone else have a bad time if your dice are very, very hot and it can yeah. be over very quickly. Yeah, it was a fun, enjoyed it. It was good. Crawl Boys are an army that I was already kind of thinking maybe I want a Crawl Boys army and I've now progressed to I definitely want a Crawl Boys army <laughs> and I'm actively buying Gut Rippers and Bolt Boys at the moment. So yeah, you can see what they did. You already did the Dominion stuff, right? Yeah, so, I've got yeah. the Dominion half-painted already, so I'm not that far nice. off having an army. And it was nice. His was like a really nice mix of stuff. Like he had the Nine Bolt Boys, which did a lot of work, but he also had, you know, some of the monsters and things. I mean, Gobsmack mm-hmm. did, I think, literally nothing the entire game. He stood there That's and maybe he spread. cast one spell. But then again, Gargans wasn't the list that he was ever going to do yeah, a lot of games. No. The I two sludge rakers, yeah, the sludge rakers and about really sixty the hobgrots. Well, just like five Marboot Trogoths seems like the way forward. That the yeah, they do seem very incredible. good. Um, I was being recommended to ally one into a trog army because it is killier than any of the trog army trogs. It so. was extremely killy. Like Kragnos is quite tough, and the Marboot just absolutely murdered him. Yeah, yeah. very fragile. Though. That's the that's the downside to yes. them, right? Yeah. The whole yeah. army is, isn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was a fun game. Um, yeah, and my opponent was really nice. So, mm-hmm. yeah, disappointed not to win, but could have been worse. Yeah, that's fair enough. How about uh, you, Rich? Rich? Awesome. So, me, I was playing a very nice guy called Sean, who was playing a different Slaves to Darkness list, not an Archeon list. So this was like Bellacor, Carcatrack Lord, Sorcerer Lord, War Shrine. 40 cultists in two big blocks, 10 knights in two blocks, and 10 warriors. So I guess like... An actual Slaves to Darkness list. An actual Slaves to Darkness. I mean, you think of like Slaves pre... I would call this like pre-pandemic Slaves to Darkness. Mm. Um, I've definitely played lists similar to this at events before. Obviously, things like New Bellicor weren't around then, but 
they're they're a good army with some variety, so it's interesting to see it. I've got to be honest, I went into this game really low energy. Um a combination of like having been drinking on Saturday, catching up with me, um, not really eating much breakfast, thinking I'll get it at a venue, and then uh, not realizing uh, yeah. that breakfast wasn't being served on Sunday. Probably not being as militant with remaining hydrated as I had been on Saturday, even like in between beers. And I think like also not having a um, having a friendly game was nice, but not having like a tournament game. So I'd had a couple of hours to just sort of sit and like credit to my opponent. This game like completely turned me around, and I was really enthusiastic by the end of it. And I think like we had a good back and forth. We had a lot of fun. We were playing power and numbers, so uh, six objectives, burn them, and the points you get sort of dictated by how long you've held yeah. them. Uh, so I gave away turn one, and he sent like powered up a big block of cultists and sent it forward, which, by his words, is like the intent of the list. Mm-hmm. Power up block cultists. Let it recap. The, um, the snake cultists. Uh, no, no, it was. Um, sorry, I'm saying cultists. What I mean is marauders. Uh, marauders. Okay. Yeah, cool. I've written that down wrong in my notes. Um, two by four, two by twenty marauders, not cultists. Uh, okay, interesting. So the point being that they, you're always rolling at least an eight to charge because mm-hmm. they turn their lowest dice to a six and they've got an eight plus one. Instead of really good early, you can you can put like. Um, I think you can put oracular visions on them to give them re-rolling saves. You can you can you can make them quite killy, uh, but not amazing. Uh, they took one of my backline objectives, turn one. Um, that was about all that happened. Really, some spell casting. I took it. I managed to take it back in my turn one, which uh, turned out to be pretty critical later in the game. Uh, and then sent the coach forward to shoot some of the other units of cultists and try and sort of be a distraction carnifex, as you'd say. Um, which worked. I was really pleased with how well that worked. I actually won the double, but gave the turn away because I wanted advantage on the turn three priority roll. Uh, because in an objective, like a game like this with six objectives, I think being able to control that by taking one away is really important. Possibly biggest brain thing I did all weekend, I think, in terms of like thinking ahead and being tactical. Turn two and three, we sort of like he mobbed the coach, really kind of like failed to kill it with warriors and cultists and Bellacore, even like that's the coach's job, right? Yeah, and meanwhile, it was like continually powering up and blasting mortal wounds into it. Lady Alinda was staring into various units and stuff, so <laughs> yeah, just mowing them down by lifting lifting that veil. Yeah, just sort of a bit back and forth for turn two. Um, he actually won the turn three or oh, sorry in turn two he took my middle back objective and one of my flank ones that i'd sort of like intentionally abandoned um and he burnt both of them straight away and burnt one of his for four points total which at the time i didn't say anything but i was like i think that's a massive mistake to give up half the objectives on the board for four points hmm. um it didn't like it ended up still being pretty close so maybe in that one if you hold an objective all game it's worth eight right yeah like it, it really escalates like so my turn two he dark mastered alinda with bellacore so she couldn't do much and he'd also cast a spell on her that meant it's either a spell or ability i'm not sure i think it's a spell that just meant anytime she cast a spell she took d3 mortal wounds so she was kind of just sat there doing nothing for that turn Coach kept whittling stuff down. I deep struck two units of blade guys in the back to start challenging one of his objectives. 
which I took and burned. So at this point, there's three objectives left on the board, which means I can like really focus them. He actually won the turn three priority and chose to go, so I went second. And talking about my big brain play from earlier, I completely forgot that I could burn an objective here. In hindsight, I realized at the end of his turn and was just like, we're absolutely not doing like a take back here because it's it's absurd. It would have changed yeah. how you played and was so unfair. So, you know, it's a thing I could do. I forgot to do it. My bad. In hindsight, I'm quite glad because I'm not sure how it would have turned out if I had. But yeah, my turn three, you know, more ghost fighting happened. I realized sort of on his turn three, I kind of passively asked what his battle tactic was. And he yeah. said it's to keep priests alive. And his only priest was the war shrine. And I realized that like, any like I was doomed if he got any kind of point swing, basically. So I basically dedicated my turn three to killing the war shrine. Mm-hmm. So Alinda and the coach teleported out and then unloaded a load of mortals into the war shrine, charged in. I retreated some blade guys. Well, I I think this is when I did Alinda's like return models to units, and for once I think I returned like seven or eight across the board, which is quite nice, nice for that. Uh, I healed some more in with the Guardian of Souls spell. And then retreated that sort of revitalized use it unit back to charge it into the war shrine and do more mortals. And then Linda finished it in combat. So got that swing, kind of killed it to death. Tried to take his backfield objective, but couldn't quite because he still had knights and warriors kind of half contesting it. I didn't have enough battle line there. I kind of screened some other stuff. I then managed to get a double turn into turn four and sort of like solidify on the back. Uh really kind of like build out the screens around other stuff and yeah burn his back objective the screening managed to deny him a battle tactic as well which kind of closed the lead yeah and we realized if it we realized it was still really close and it came down to round five priority and at this point i think we had like six minutes left on the round you did yeah i was was everyone was getting stressed especially tom link so i think we were like one of the last games um he was stood over your shoulder at one point wasn't he yeah yeah shaking his head um, <laughs> we rolled it. I got it, which meant I just burnt all the objectives for like a uh, like a ten or eleven point swing in my favor. I think I know I won by nine overall. Um, there was no way yeah. he could have killed all my wizards in his turn, which meant I got my grand strat as well. Yeah, denying him the one battle tactic, which obviously he could still score a battle tactic in turn five, but deny- denying him his turn four <laughs> one. Also got my the point there for scoring more. Yeah, really good game. Really happy with how we played. Um, really fun all the way through as well. We were laughing and having a good time. Like I said, after that game, I felt like the inverse of I did going into it in terms of just like general health and mental <laughs> status, so, which is not often true of the end of a tournament, obviously. So, the healing power um, of Warhammer. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it was it was super fun. Um, yeah really good like things do come down to those turn rolls sometimes mm. i think we we mathed it out afterwards and like it was odds on if he'd won that priority we would have ended up on a flat draw so but you would have denied his grand strat right so you that probably uh, including including the grand strats including grand strats yeah so um it was really close but it was a fun game yeah that's the one i have the most notes on because it was like the most uh well it was the most exciting one that I didn't also drink three pints of beer through. So and you got your win. Of it. And I got yeah. a win. Yeah. So one and four. What a result. Although one of three. One of them doesn't count because it was only Chris. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chris. Yeah. Yeah. What did, uh, or it was only a friendly game versus Chris, I should say. 
Uh, what did our other three do this round, just quickly? So, Chris beat Cities of Sigmar, yeah. I think, in a game that ended up being very silly because to get his grand strategy, Chris had to kind of play, he was trying to make all of his units fight, which meant he couldn't kill things too quickly. And it ended up being very silly, but it sounded quite fun. Yeah, I, I think he showed us a picture afterwards of like these him doing the most inefficient possible pile-ins, creating weird congos to try and ensure he didn't kill a Celestin Prime so that more units could fight it, uh, which is fun. I think yeah, this, he, I don't rate that grand strat that he chose, I don't think. Um, uh, I mean, in sort of team event environment, I think it's good enough that it unlocks other... It frees one up for other people, right? Yeah, but. I think it's what it is is it's playable, which not every... Age of Sigma mm. 3 book has a playable grand strategy. <laughs> and to be fair, like it saves you choosing like uh the one where you have to hold pieces of terrain or mm. something, which yeah. Also, daughters generally they're quite fragile, so taking something like hold the line is quite risky. Definitely. I think, yeah. So Yeah, at least you get points if you get tabled on on the one he chose. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh so yeah, I think the other interesting thing about this game is that he was against a Gotrek. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so, lesser spotted, great crested Gothric. He used to be the terror of uh, the Gargant dominating era of AOS 3. But um, the big unit of snakes is like the perfect Gothric killing machine, right? They just like a bucket of uh, damage one attacks is exactly what Gothric does not want to have 45 dice rolled against him. Uh, mm, but which, yeah. is what, which is what happened. So, that was a good outcome for us. Then I think Michael played uh, Nurgle. Lost this one as well. This one sounds like it basically came down to Nurgle getting some very early doors long bond charges that effectively pinned him into his own deployment zone, which is generally not how you win games of Age of Sigmar as being pinned in your own deployment zone. That's quite rare for new Nurgle as well. Um, yeah, it was Nurglings. It yeah, Nurglings and a Gargant, right? A mini Gargant? Yeah. Maybe Chaos Gargant. Yeah, the old Chaos Gargant, the old Gargant scroll, well. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was a nine inch Nurgling charge, which he couldn't then clear in his own turn, which uh, then got him follow up charged with some like cheeky 10 inch charges from uh, stuff. So sometimes that, sometimes it do be like that. That's basically the, Nur- uh, the Nurgle game plan, right? It's pin you and pin and win. Yeah. Uh, Pin and grind, yeah. And then, incidentally, Nine Inch Nurglings, one of my favourite bands. <laughs> that one's and then Luke with his Nurgle had a what I can only assume was a bit of a grind fest against OBR. And all I know about this game is that the Great Unclean Run was a disappointment because that's pretty much Luke's battle report was the Great Unclean Run was a disappointment. I don't know in what respect. I don't know if either of you two do. So this was the other game that I think Tomlin came around with like two minutes on the clock going, is this going to finish? And at that point, they were in like battle round three. So that <laughs> that sounds like a hell game. <laughs> I think he had fun with it, apart from just the great unclean one being a fail son. Yeah, I think we all had really good games in this round. Mm-hmm. All lovely yeah, opponents. Good team. Yeah, they're a lovely team who narrowly beat us. I think again it was a three and three, but my win was the narrowest possible win you could have under this pack. 
Um, and then we had a couple of big losses. So yeah, I lost nil twenty, I think. Yeah. So yeah. they they got the they got the narrow win into that round, which meant when we uh, got to the final results, we managed to win the wooden spoon. Oh yeah, we, uh, we came dead last, which is very impressive. It's the role models tradition, I think. Yeah, I mean, we didn't come dead last at Brotherhood One, obviously. So this no, is a it, a downward spiral. It is. I think it's it's a weird one. So the the field was very different to Brotherhood One, um, partly because there were fewer teams. Uh, yeah, it sort of impacted the rounds that were available. Um, although, the, to be honest, there are enough teams who are sort of on our level. I think that it didn't impact us too. Much. We didn't play loads and loads of really good teams. Basically, no, it didn't feel like we got ground into the dirt for a whole weekend or anything. So, our matchup, our matchups were of a very similar level. To be honest, to mm-hmm. what we faced at Brotherhood One, I think, and both yeah. of them, we played one team that was definitely there to win the event, and then some other teams who were similar sort of levels of lists to us <laughs> you know yeah. looking to have fun rather than necessarily come away with a trophy so i think i was initially disappointed by this i think my goal was to not win uh, not to not lose my goal was to not win which i achieved <laughs> uh, no my goal was to not come last um this is a bit of a shame but as chris pointed out if you come last at brotherhoods uh you get to name the wooden spoon trophy for next year so next year's trophy for coming last will be the role models trophy which is nice and probably more fun than coming second last so you know Indeed, it's a way to yeah. look at it yeah yeah i'm already disappointed we came last to be honest um yeah i'm quite disappointed in myself for only winning one game as well i think i would really have liked to one two so mm-hmm. yeah I, you know, I definitely still had fun on the day um but i was quite sad when we saw the scores and we were at the bottom one it's sad. Yeah, I think again, disappointed enough in only getting one win that I I might finally be coming around to the idea that it's okay to want to win. Actually, like mm. someone always wins every, almost every game for Warhammer, so <laughs> it's kind of okay to want to be that person, <laughs> especially in a tournament environment. Mm-hmm. I think it's also there is just such a marked difference between uh, going into a game trying to win and being a player who's trying to win at all costs, right? The, uh, oh, the, yeah. the at all costs is the important part of yeah. that phrase, right? Um, I think, I don't know, I did worse, I think, than I did at Brotherhood 2020, and I feel like I'm a better player now. So mm. I guess that was a little bit frustrating in that yeah. I would have liked to have seen that borne out in some way in the results, which it was not, which possibly means I'm not, in fact, a better player now and I'm <laughs> deluding myself. I don't know. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat in that I did better at last brotherhood but i think i was taking a much easier army to play at that event which when you're playing against uh when you're swimming around the bottom it's much easier to be piloting a very easy army because that can occasionally just cruise you into very easy wins you see i had a very easy army to play and you won one game (laughs) (laughs) no the gargants and kragnos were fun actually it was yeah i'm glad i I'm glad I ran that list. I think I enjoyed I think it more than I would have done. A Kragnos variant Kragnos. isn't as dumb as the four gargant variant, right? Yeah. It's slightly... I don't own four gargants, so it would have been mm-hmm. the alternative would have been three megas and three little gargants, which I think. Yeah. I, I this is clearly not the case because the people who know what they're doing won four megas, but I think in a team event there is a case for the having three little ones because it means mm-hmm. you're better at the scenarios that have more objectives. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, which I don't think is entirely awful. But Kragnos was fun. I don't. He let me down by not really ever doing big mortal wounds to any monster, which made me quite sad. But he did kill quite a lot of stuff. So yeah, he was alright. And it seems like the threat of that caused some not misplays, but like it it helped you control the scenario in some games. Like even if that didn't ultimately, yeah, we get never you there, really matched so. me into any really monster heavy lists. Which mm-hmm. is, well, we say we. I never matched myself into any monster heavy lists. Oh, this is <laughs> this is what I was going to say. Like I think you should both take it with a pinch of salt that when it comes to like matchups and wins that you were both you two were doing the matchups every time and i mm-hmm. think like based on what i know about you and what we've talked about i think there's a reasonable assumption that possibly you like didn't always take the best matchups for yourself because you're quite focused on all of us at least having like a reasonably good time mm-hmm. and honestly like I'm thankful for that uh, at a team event. Like, I'd rather have five nice times than five wins at the cost of someone else on the team having five complete blessings, yeah, right? So, definitely. yeah, I, I think mean, we were reasonably equitable in to what extent we gave yeah, people yeah. good matchups and bad ones. So, I think like Chris had two pretty bad games on the start of day one. So, we did intentionally try to get him the best game possible in on the th- round three. So, you know, yeah, I think I kind of, I'm not a huge believer in the concept of the bus anymore anyway. I think AOS is in a good enough place where you can try to have six matchups where there's a chance of winning. Any game is playable. Yeah. There is, yeah, sometimes rock, paper, scissors happens, right? And like, yeah. Sometimes if you go into a round and your opponent's got the silly storm drink list or whatever, then yeah, okay, someone's, someone's going to get run over. But mm. I did but really enjoy like, doing the drafting. This is the first team of... I've yeah. done it for like... You know, tournaments we played among ourselves kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This was the first like proper team event when I'd been one of the people doing the drafting and that was very fun. I would happily do that again. Yeah. Fun. yeah. fun plus stressful. I should say <laughs> overall obviously when I say I'm disappointed, I'm lively disappointed in my own play. Incredibly proud of yeah. the team. Um the other I just I do love a team event, you know. Warhammer such a it's a hobby that gives you a real diversity of things you can do and experiences you can have, but you don't get that kind of camaraderie out of any other Warhammer. No. It, you know, even if you go to a singles event with mates, it's not the same. Um, it's not. It's a good excuse to hang out with your mates from all over the country as well. Yeah. Like. Well, some of you I haven't seen since 2020. So Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, we should also mention that Chris got the third place best he painting did. award for his lovely army. Yeah, so that's the achievement of the weekend, really. Yes. Carrying Chris to a third place painting boat. Well, I say carrying him, carrying him to the he tournament. Himself, and then, and then yeah. he he carried himself through the nomination and voting process. So, <laughs> yeah, let's not try and take credit for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Do we have any. I think, like, it's worth saying as well, like, really pleased with how Luke took to it for his, like, first big tournament, and he Mm -hmm. seemed to really enjoy it. And I know, like, Michael in the past, Michael really loves playing narratively, and I've just been at a narrative event with him this weekend, but I know he's sort of expressed, like, oh, I I don't know if I want to keep doing competitive stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I know, I think he'd almost, there's almost no chance he'd ever go to, like, a singles tournament, even with a big group of friends. Um, So... I was really glad that he sort of decided that he enjoyed the experience enough last time to come and take part again, and hopefully he had fun. 
Yeah, I think um, he did. Yeah, I was sad he couldn't get a, a win under his belt. I think he had. Yeah. Uh, I think it was within him. But oh yeah, a yeah. couple of couple of games I think slipped out of his grasp, but it was definitely there. I think. Yeah, uh, and none of us play as much probably as a lot of the people we faced off against, even yeah. on like the lower sort of team. So like, you know, whereas we're a an internet based inverted commas club, like Discord server, like is mostly how we know each other. Mm. Like a lot of these places, even if they're not serious, serious tournament gamers, are like local gaming groups that play with each other every week or like a lot. So you learn a lot even playing quote unquote unserious Warhammer, right? Just yeah, playing exactly. the game. Like we exactly. said before, it's important learning different armies, learning what the capabilities of your own army that comes about through play. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of our armies, do you have any reflections or plans for the future off the back of this? I think I'm probably I'm probably not going to take the Gargants to another event for a while. I've been playing them. They've been my main competitive army this year. So while there was quite a big blip in the middle of the year and I didn't do anything because there was COVID, I feel like I've had quite a lot of play with them. I kind of want to do something else now. So having lost to both OBR and Cool Boys at this event, OBR and Cool Boys are quite high at the list of things I would like to play. So I have an OBR army already, um, and I might, I did consider taking it to Brotherhood, but I didn't think I knew it well enough to be able to reliably get games in within the round time limits. So my goal before the next tournament I go to, which will probably be Blackout in September, is just to get familiar enough of OBR that I can confidently play them in two hours, 45 minutes. I'll probably try those, and then I'm going to hopefully paint the Cool Boys army to play at some undefined future point. Yeah, so that'll be done in about three weeks. <laughs> How big's your shame pile weeks. now, Laura? Like 15 models? Also painting a Slaves to Darkness army for narrative purposes, so, you know, that'll slow me down. The narrative is Archeon wins. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that when the new Slaves of Darkness book comes out in the winter, it makes 40 Chaos Warriors and Bellacore into a competitive list, and then, then it can be, but um, we'll see. Bellacore we is not kind of a massive army, I should stress. I just painted yeah. him for fun. I think we all kind of hope Chaos Warriors are good in the next Slaves of Darkness book, right? That's the yeah. That's my mind's eye view of that army, what it should be. No one wants to see Marauder models like at all, especially when the new Chaos Warriors are so nice, and the old mm. Chaos Warriors are still much nicer than the Marauders, in my opinion. Like, the Marauder Horsemen are mm. okay, because they're quite the a lot newer. The old Chaos Warriors but... are fine. I've been painting them, and apart from exactly. the fact they all look the same, they're completely fine. Like, if yeah. they were just a couple of different poses, they'd be perfect. Yeah. 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 How about you, Matthew? Uh, yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, so I still believe in the eels. I still th- I'm probably the only man in the world who still believes in the eels. All the other Deepkin players there did not take them and did much better than me. Um, I think they're just hard to play, which means I'd need to play more with them. Um, I definitely would have had an easier time if I took Turtle, Sharks, Namatai, two boats, um, flip tides, that sort of thing, which uh, will either mean a lot or nothing to you, those collection of words I just said. Um, but... <laughs> uh, that would have been a lot easier to play, um, but I knew what I was getting into when I when I came to this tournament. I want to keep playing with Deepkin. I find them really rewarding to get the wins with because if you're not playing the pew-pew builds, they are quite challenging to play. Uh, people will read the high-tide rules and spit in my face for saying that, but 
<laughs> if you're not um, using turtle saves on a five plus warded Namata unit, they are actually quite fragile, um, and they are. You do have to be playing around with your own charges, which means you have to be very offensive with a fragile army, which is not an easy thing to do all the time. Sometimes it all works out and it's fine, but not all the time. One thing I really missed was uh, from the old book, I really missed playing with the aspect of the storm, partly from a painting perspective, because I think it looks really nice. It did a nice really blend. nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it looks cool as hell. It's just also really fun to play with. It's like a fun model. Um, but just I, it got like the legendary triple nerf from GW which is what they do to any model that sees too much play unless it's Seraphim which is nerf what it does three times and I could have taken two of them but one of them just makes him less fun so his buff is plus one to wounds but it only works on riders not mounts whilst that same buff exists on Lotan who's the octopus guy um, but he works on mounts as well for some reason and why, so, would, why would you not just take Lotan, who's like a third of the price? Yeah, or... exactly. Less, less than a, yeah. But So it just really makes me not want to put him on the table, but maybe I will. For the actual future, what I'm doing at the moment is uh, going back to dry brushing bone splitters. Uh, I saw a man on the internet playing with uh, 12 units of big stabbers, and it looks... <laughs> it looks such a good picture. Hilarious. That looks like the sort of army I'd want to push around. I don't want to have that many big stabbers, but doing lots of big stabbers looks very fun. So that's my next goal. Is And probably, again, what I'll be taking to a blackout. Nice. Cool. Nice. Where are you, Rich? Ooh, I don't know. Um, so... I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say some some reflections and then outline some plans that in no way take into account my reflections. I think so. My reflections are that yeah, like kind of what I said before. It's like it's okay to want to win, and I think I'm finally at the point where I feel like I don't have to sort of like apologetically play a bad army. So there's no chance of me sort of like doing well, like because realistically what I could be doing is like building and painting a good army and, you know, maybe going three and two or two and three, even that would be nice. So yeah, I, I haven't turned that into a solid plan yet. I do have a few things to add to my Lumineth, which I think make them better. Mm-hmm. I think they're in a bad place. Um, I am crossing my fingers that one of the battle tomes on the roadmap might be a Lumineth book. Um, it, 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 it will yeah. make people mad. But you Even like better. I do think I do think they could do with like a tightening up for AOS three and some negative stuff taking out. <sighs> yeah, I will tell you from this weekend that okay, I was playing narrative games, but like running them without tech lists, they are unbelievably like paper thin, squishy. So um I yeah, I've got things I want to paint. I'm still enjoying painting those and I like looking at them. Um I feel like they were my experiment in like painting for an army nomination as well um mm-hmm. which i got a blackout last year and yeah like as expected didn't get trophy and i've sort of been to some other events where they've maybe like not gone across as well as i thought they might based on like individual feedback i've had from people okay so 
like people will say, oh, these are cool, they're really nice, but then, like, I don't know, I've not come away from anything with any painting trophies. So <laughs> this is not, like, it's not my ultimate goal. Like, it's just nice to get nice comments about an army that you enjoyed painting. But, the painting you know, meta is harder than the gaming meta. It actually, like, it is. And there's so many incredibly talented people. And even within that, any one event you go to is, like, just basically a swing of, like, who's there? Who is there voting and what do they like? Um, so, you know, like I'm not I'm not saying that oh, I'm definitely going to just continue doing that. But um, I'm working on some Ideneth, a thousand points of Ideneth for a doubles event in August. So mm-hmm. there's maybe potential that I actually just build up to 2000 points and take those to blackout. Um, I'm also working on some trogs, which, man, they suck. But. I love the models, and again, they maybe are a candidate for a book before Blackout. So, Trugs are alright. Trugs are fine. I don't know that fine. bad. Yeah. Uh, the the t- problem with them when you're playing five game thing where you maybe like don't know the scenarios in advance mm. is they basically all want to play in a twelve inch bubble around yeah. the Loon Shrine so that they don't run away. Because otherwise, they're like Bravery Four, and you're running units of six yeah. rock guts, and yeah, that's a lot of wounds to lose to Battle Shock. Um, I, also, I also think Bone Spurs are alright, so I could just be leading up the Golden Path on that. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think you've got a pretty good read on stuff normally. So I don't know is the short answer. Like, I'm not really in a position at the moment to just like randomly go out and buy an entire like new army to build and paint for like pick something competitive. So do you not I'm think that of... can be competitive then if you stuck with them? Um, I, I guess I've not even really acknowledged Nighthorn. Um, yes, possibly. I think there's stuff there. I think probably it's going to shake out that the Emerald Host is the one because just sort of yeah. ticking over passive mortals on like key units that you could choose and you don't have to be in range of or anything it's is really so good. good. Against yeah, I, th- I think maybe like much as the ability is like potentially laughable and not going to go off. There's like an interesting thing about maybe like putting a script of mortis in the Emerald host as well. So that you've got like absolutely saturated coverage of potentially just eventually killing all of the support heroes for something. But, mm-hmm. um, I want to put my 24 million benches on the table. They are fun to play. They're much more fun to play now. So yeah, yeah they have game. My Nighthorn army is like four to five years old. So it's just a little bit tired. Um, I will keep taking it out for events. Um, it still looks really maybe. good. Like, yeah, the, scheme, the scheme is so striking. Um, and it's super and, simple to paint. Yeah, as usual, your basing is so good on them that I think they still look really good. I was very surprised you didn't get them on this event. Well, yeah, I, I like, like I say, they're an old, old-ish army that I'm kind of like, I think I was saying to Chris at the time, like, I got some nice comments from people about them, which is nice. I'm kind of resigned to in my head. They're just like my first AOS army. Um, like it's a hell of a first AOS army. Yeah, it's definitely not the first thing I painted, but um, yeah, they're just fun to paint. They're quick to paint, so yeah, they could be competitive as well. Sorry, Laura. just realised we didn't talk about your Nighthorn highlight of the event. Oh yeah, okay. You're not going to let me get away with this, and now I've got to remember what it was that you're not letting me get away with. Um, oh. <laughs> was it when I cast Mystic Shields? On, yes, yes, it was. On, 
Nighthorn with another modifiable save. And then my opponent went, sorry, what? And I said, oh, <laughs> can, can it be Arcane Bolt instead? And they very graciously went, oh, yeah, of course, that's fine. Which, to be fair, um, you hadn't played with them for ages before, so we'll let you off. Yeah. Yes, that, it's just because I actually found a lot with that army. So with the Guardian of Souls, Raikonor, and Lady Alinda, I adopted to take the extra spells. We talked about this in mm-hmm. the, the list review. I adopted to take like the extra spell from the Warlord Battalion. Yeah. But then double up on a lot of the spells. I actually just found I was, without being Mystic Shield, been like a reasonable option. I just ran out of stuff to cast so often because the, of positioning. The, so. isn't, the spell lore isn't fantastic, is it? It is a weakness, I think. Yeah. There's, there's... Shade Mist and Sid of Shaish are really good. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the two though. that I doubled yeah. up on a lot. And yeah. then Spectral Tether is good on Alinda because that's actually what, A, that's what won me my game five. But it's also like, if she's in trouble, it's a really good get out as well because there's no restrictions on it being like not in combat or anything. You can just go, no, nope, I'm not here anymore. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll play some more Nighthorn. I am almost tempted to add Nagash. I don't think that Nagash Nighthorn is probably a very credible army, but Chimp shaking his head. Um, I do think spell lore is probably a bit better when you're like casting it as Nagash, mm. <laughs> not as like a little idiot hero. But the old spell lore was much more Nagash friendly. Mm-hmm. But that would be a fun painting project. Trying to oh, yeah. that. So, um, but yeah, so maybe that's a like a thing to make me excited about Nighthaunt still and keep taking them to events. I think like you're right. Actually, like they're they're good. They've got mileage. I just need to. I think, think we all some more uh, lists. I think we all know you're a couple of beers away from hitting order on six terrorists. That is that army lives in my head rent free. Like mm-hmm. any army that is just a load of big things. Like the thing, the thing that's like constantly out of reach at the moment is like Avalonor and three other cows in Lumineth. <laughs> uh, it's just so bad that <laughs> it's not worth the, like several hundred pound investment. The other thing I could do is go back to my ogres and do the thing I've wanted to do for a while, which is like the five or six Stonehorn army. Mm-hmm. But again, I think they're due. They've not had a book for a while. I don't think they desperately need one compared to some other factions. But they're just—they're not in a great place. But they're very playable still. So mm-hmm. maybe I paint a Stonehorn or two here or there. I don't know. I'll continue to be bad at Warhammer, I think, is the short version. Sorry, that's <laughs> like three times as long as anyone else's. Uh, what I are your reflections? You the, so. I think you had the most to reflect on, really, given you were playing essentially a brand new army. Right? Yeah. On journey. What a journey. Have we reflected enough? Uh, we've been going for over two hours, so I yes. I think we've become reflective. That doesn't make any sense. We've been going yeah, for over two hours. No. So. You know. <laughs> When you talk too much and go all shiny, yeah, that's the thing that happens. Right. Go on, wrap it up, Jim. Wrap it up. Um, play Warhammer. Play the kind of Warhammer you want to play. Have fun. Play team events. They're good. Uh, I guess we will return to Brotherhood to defend our title in 2023. I think we have yeah. to now. I think it's legally and morally required. Yep, definitely. All right. We should thank our gracious hosts, Tiny Plastic People. Go on their Twitter, like their posts. Uh, Tiny Plastic Pals. TinyPlasticPeople.com Yeah. Do not look at my social media for how I have not posted. Uh, Rich? Uh, you can look at my social media. 
Uh, I'm at Rich Nutter on Twitter. I have spent this weekend posting a load of nice photos from a narrative event. You have. Go look at those. Don't look at anything to do with Brotherhood. Uh, I am at Scops947 on Twitter and Instagram, where people have got slightly weirdly excited about pictures of Chaos Warriors recently. So go and like yes. those, I guess. Get the clout. That's what we I don't need. know why they like this picture of Chaos Warriors more than any of the previous pictures of Chaos Warriors I've posted, but they do. The but algorithm more, makes no sense. The more people like your pictures of Chaos Warriors, the closer we get to a Patreon. So <laughs> just keep going. Maybe some way off, but still, it was nice that <laughs> they got some likes. <laughs> it's always nice to get get the uh, the little endorphin hit, isn't it? Mm. They push the button that make me feel good. Okay, all right. On that bombshell. I'm going to bed. Uh, (laughs) Bye, everyone. Goodbye.